Hi everyone, this is Cassette and you are listening to True Crime Trophy. I want to say a massive thank you for those that have returned to the podcast. I know I took an extended break, but it was to sort out all my audio issues. And on top of that, I released another two podcasts. There's Paleopod, which is an educational podcast about paleontology. And there is Shh, It Happens, which is a comedy podcast. For those that are joining me, I'm Cassie. And I will be bringing you cases from all around the world straight out of the True Crime Trophy cabinet. And with all that being said, let's crack on with the first case. My case today is about John and Anne Darwin. Anne was a former beauty queen who married John, who was at that point a teacher, on the 22nd of December 1973 in County Durham. Over two decades, John and Anne would welcome two sons into their life, as well as build a property rental business. They both still worked, although John would keep changing his career path. He went from being a teacher to a Barclays banker to a prison officer at HMP Home House. By December 2000, the boys had grown and moved into their own homes and the Darwins had 12 properties to rent out. After finalising the purchase of an additional two, the couple reportedly lost money on the stock market and debt started to mount. They made sure they had plenty of insurance policies, which I can understand when you're renting out properties. Skipping forward to 21st of March 2002, John finished his night shift at the prison and returned to his home at Seaton Crew. According to some reports, there were four calls made between the family home and the medical centre where Anne worked as a receptionist. Around 4.30pm, John took his red kayak down to the beach in front of his home and started paddling out to sea. Anne arrived home around 9pm after going shopping after work. As she walked in the door, the phone was ringing. It was John's colleagues who was wondering why he hadn't turned up for his shift. At 9.30pm, Anne made a missing person report, which then culminated in a 62-square-foot search of the coastline. A double-ended paddle was found the next day, and the wreckage of the red kayak was found six weeks later. While the search was going on, Anne called her sons to inform them of their father's disappearance. As the search died down, the people involved wondered how John could get into trouble when the North Sea had been unusually calm that day. Anne told police that whilst John was a competent canoeist, he had never perfected his escape manoeuvre. She also added that she had no reason to think that he would have left and stage managed the situation, which to me is already red flags. If you are going out in a canoe, you want to make sure your escape manoeuvre is perfect and what an odd little comment to make, but none as strange as folk. Let's crack on. Three weeks after John's disappearance, Anne approached Hartlepool's coroner's office to discuss declaring John as dead. This is unusual, as most cases in the UK, a person gets declared dead after seven years of the person being missing. For some reason, John was declared as dead after only a few months. She used this certificate to claim... 
£25,000 life insurance, £25,000 teacher's pension, £58,000 prison service pension, £4,000 from payouts from the Department of Work and Pensions, and a £137,000 mortgage insurance policy. This equated to £249,000, which is $346,608. It was later found out that Anne would have cashed in a fatal accident insurance policy that the couple had taken out just four months prior to John going missing. Again, red flag. After having a memorial service for John with their sons, Anne started spending more and more time abroad, eventually settling in Panama. She would fly back to the UK to finish up working and to sell the rental properties before transferring the money abroad and buying properties there. She set up a company called Jaguar Properties to handle the money and the properties and as she told her sons, so they would avoid the inheritance tax in the UK. Five years later, on the 1st of December 2007, a man walked into the West End Central Police Station and claimed he was John Darwin and he was suffering from amnesia. He was reunited with his overjoyed sons, Mark and Anthony, and went to stay at Anthony's house whilst Anne made her way back to the UK. Four days later, the Daily Mirror published a photo on the front of their newspaper of a smiling John and Anne in Panama, taken in 2006. I'm going to let that sink in, guys. Oh, wow. He goes missing in 2002. He's been missing all these years. And they are photographed in 2006 together. John was arrested at his son's house a few hours later and Anne was arrested as she arrived at Manchester Airport. John was charged with obtaining life insurance money by deception and making untrue statements to obtain a passport. Anne was detained in connection with allegations of fraud. As the investigation deepened, the details started to emerge. The night that John had disappeared... Anne had met him at North Gare and drove him to Durham Railway Station before going home. After the search had finished and her sons had returned home, John came back to Seaton Carew and lived in the property that they owned next door to his family home. The couple even made a secret door, so if Anne had any unexpected visitors, and my dear listeners, this even includes their sons, John could return to next door without being seen. He grew a beard and started walking with a limp and was soon brazen enough to walk around outside. He searched for an Elias and settled on John Jones, who was a baby that had died at five weeks old the same year John had been born. When John Jones's family were notified, they were understandably upset with the news. Whilst walking outside, John Darwin was discovered by one of his tenants and warned them not to say anything. The tenant said nothing to the police as they didn't want any trouble. Hi, I'm Emily. And I'm Andy. And welcome to Unnatural, a true crime podcast. We cover the cases everyone's talking about. 2018 murder of Molly Tibbetts. And the cases no one's talking about. Today we are going to talk about a little girl named Cherry Mahan who went missing. Providing our own unique and sometimes quirky perspectives. I have two words for you. Yeah. Makes sense. (laughs) Tune in to Unnatural, a true crime podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In 2004, two years after his disappearance, John and Anne decided they wanted to move abroad. 
John purchased the birth certificate of his Elias, used his home address and took a photograph of himself to the local library that he had rejoined under John Jones and he got the unsuspecting librarian to authenticate it. With these, John was able to obtain a passport. So while all this is happening, he's back in his hometown, parading around, pretending to be someone else. So narcissistic and... Unfortunately, he was getting away with it. I'm just blown away that someone who has apparently died is able to walk around and nobody recognises them. In November of that year, the couple flew to Cyprus to view properties. Throughout 2005, John spent a lot of time on the internet, reportedly chatting to other women. He got spotted in Penzance, Cornwall by an angler and he travelled to El Porto de Santa Maria to look at a £45,000, which is a $62,059 60-foot catamaran that he decided against buying. On the 14th of July 2006, John and Anne flew to Panama to look at properties there. They met with a property dealer and this is when their photo was taken. They flew multiple times to Panama, seemingly falling more and more in love with the country. They purchased a property in El Dorado for £50,000, which is $68,954, in March 2007, and sold the flat that John had hidden in before transferring the money to Panama. The next month, Anne flew back to the UK alone to sell the family home. The month after that, they purchased a £200,000, which is $275,819, tropical estate in Escobar. Again, multiple trips were made by John and Anne between Panama and the UK. In September 2007, Anne was at work in County Durham when a colleague overheard a conversation Anne was having with John. This colleague called the police and reported what they had heard. This led the police to start a financial investigation against Anne. In October, the family home sold for £295,000, which is $406,834 and Anne left for the final time to Panama. The couple enjoyed a holiday abroad before returning to Panama, where they found out that the visa laws had now been altered. Panama now needed UK citizens to have their identities checked by the UK police. This was obviously going to be a problem for John. On the 30th of November, Anne purchased a flight ticket for John to return by himself to the UK. On the 30th of March 2008, John admitted to seven charges of obtaining money by deception and a passport offence, although he denied nine charges of handling criminal property. Surprisingly, <clears throat> Anne denied all charges. What a shocker. This led to a long trial that ended on the 23rd of July with both John and Anne being convicted of fraud. John was sentenced to six years, three months, and Anne was sentenced to six years, six months. She had been labelled by the police as a compulsive liar during the trial. The Crown Prosecution Service vowed that all profits from the fraud made by both parties would be confiscated and returned to the relevant places. John and Anne were both ordered to pay back the money they had claimed, plus compensation and legal fees. After their parents had been convicted, the sons made a statement in the Daily Mail. Quote, Nothing seems real anymore. 
I can't ever forgive them for putting us through the torture of mourning. They were in it together and they deserved the sentences handed down by the judge. Dad told one nasty lie and disappeared. She lied for six years. At the moment, I certainly don't want to see her or speak to her. My feelings are often conflicting. I'm happy Dad is alive and I think how bitter and annoyed I am again. I thought they were the best parents anyone could ever ask for. But the mother I had loved and respected all my life had gone to outrageous lengths to Connell's. She let us believe Dad was dead. She encouraged us to believe this. At the moment, I want nothing more to do with them. End quote. It was found out that some of the properties that Anne had sold had been placed in their son's names. She'd managed to convince them to sell them and to send her the money as a way of tax relief. And now they were going to be left with absolutely nothing, which is unforgivable to me. I mean, I I know every child doesn't think about what they're going to inherit when their parents die, but when they were basically set up for life by their parents and then their parents con them, that must be a, a hard pill to swallow. During their incarceration, Anne divorced John. John was released on probation on the 18th of January 2011, having served less than half his sentence. Anne was released on March the 9th. After leaving prison, Anne settled down into a quiet life, working to repay her debt and attempting to rebuild her relationship with her estranged sons. John, however, was arrested in December 2013 after taking an unauthorised trip to the Ukraine to meet a 25-year-old woman. He hit the headlines again in 2014 as it was reported he had only paid back £121 of the £675,000 or $931,161 that the judge had ordered he repay. He blamed this on living on benefits. Anne had repaid more than £500,000 as her bank accounts and all monies had been seized under the Criminals Proceeds Act. Following this, John ended up back in court after it was discovered he had two pensions about to mature and he was ordered to make a £40,000 or $55,179 lump sum to the court. He was last in the news in 2015 when it was found he was now off probation and was now married to a woman 22 years younger than him and living in the Philippines. This case to me was like a family annihilation, not in the Chris Watts way, but it completely obliterated a family apart. They were both compulsive liars. They didn't care that they were hurting their sons. I mean, she must have sat there comforting her sons while they grieved, while knowing that their dad was next door and she was going to get a hug off of him, but they wasn't. And the fact that she couldn't accept blame, even when she was being proven wrong, was ridiculous. She disregards her son so many times and she drags them through the trial. They have to hear everything about how many times she has just not thought about them at all. And they were both happy to start a life without their sons being involved. Like, how do you do that? How do you start a family and then be thinking, I don't want my 
children to be a part of this. I, I just, I don't get it at all. But I hope she's doing well. If she has finally accepted the blame, if she has worked hard like she was doing and she's slowly making progress with her sons, I don't think John will ever try because to me he doesn't seem to be able to settle. And I don't know, he seems to have like a compulsive sexual disorder but I'm not a therapist so don't quote me. But it was an interesting case because when you see this couple you can't imagine them doing anything wrong and then to find out they committed a massive act of fraud it was shocking i remember seeing the headlines but that's it for this week guys if you'd like to help me get this podcast out to more listeners please give me a rate review and subscribe on apple Podcasts. please get in touch with me on my social medias it's at true crime trophy on facebook and at True Crime Trophy Official on Instagram. You can also find True Crime Trophy on TikTok. I'm going to chuff off, and I will see you on the next episode. Bye!